morning, take your Bible and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 28. We're going to take this morning's teaching time to do a little vision casting between series. Last Sunday, we wrapped up our study in the Gospel of Mark, and we'll be transitioning next Sunday, Lord willing, into a study in the book of Exodus. I almost said the Gospel of Exodus, and that wouldn't be a bad description of our study, but that's where we'll be, Lord willing, beginning on next Sunday. But as I said this morning, I want to talk a little bit about where we are and where we're headed over the next few months. Um, in discussing some plans with church leadership, the CLT and deacons, and even within the staff, um, I've commented I don't feel like I've been here long enough to have a vision, a good, solid, detailed vision. That's not entirely true. The truth is I, I do have a good, solid, detailed idea about where I think we need to be headed. I've just not been here long enough to be terribly confident in that. But there are some things that are, in my estimation, crystal clear. Some planning, some uh, goals that we might establish for ourselves that are perfectly suited to the vision and the mission of Longview Point Church. In fact, that I think are perfectly suited to the vision and mission of any New Testament church. And uh, those are the matters that I'd like to talk over this morning. So there are a number of uh, points of emphasis. In fact, there are four in this morning's message that I'd like to share with you. Some action items for you, for us collectively as a church, that I believe we need to undertake to do. But I am uh, giving in to the reality here that the one that is going to dominate conversation at the dinner table today and over the next several weeks and months is the plan that I intend this morning to present to you to uh, make an effort at retiring our debt in the year 2020. So uh, before we can really talk about that substantively, we need to talk about why it might be helpful to do that. And in doing so, I'd like us to look at a passage of scripture that really defines for us the, the vision, the mission, and the purpose of any New Testament church, the great commission of our Lord. You know, at least I hope you know, if you don't, you will by this morning's end, that before our Savior ascended to the right hand of God, he issued a statement to his disciples. In each of the Gospels, in some shape or form, Jesus said to them, I'm going away, ascending to the right hand of God, but I'm leaving you behind to fulfill the work that I came to begin. Jesus said in the Gospel of Luke, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was the mission of our Savior. And in following after Jesus, we are following after the mission he has patterned for us and the mission he has commissioned us to undertake, that we would fulfill the work of gospel advancement even to the ends of the earth until the return of our Savior. It's spelled out in greatest detail for us in the Gospel of Matthew, verses 16 through 20. So if you found your way there in your copy of God's Word, I'd like to invite you to stand with me as we read together the words of our Savior. The Bible says, beginning in verse number 16, the eleven disciples traveled to Galilee 
to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped, but some doubted. Then Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may be seated. It is here that the Lord details for us our assignment. He says, you are to go into all the world, even to the ends of the earth, making disciples of all nations. The primary responsibility of every New Testament believer, of every believer, and of every New Testament church is to be about the business of making disciples. This cannot be just one among many of our priorities. It it has to be the single priority around which everything in our life is in orbit. For instance, you're going to have hobbies and interests. You're going to have different jobs, different family dynamics. You're going to live in different neighborhoods. You're going to live in different homes. You're going to have unique responsibilities. But all of those things are to be tailored to suit the single goal in your life of making disciples. Students, what you do academically is to be done in service to the lifelong ambition of making disciples of all nations. Dads, what you do in the workforce is to be done in an effort to to propel you, to equip you, to enable you and those under your charge to meet the lifelong goal of making disciples of all nations. Ladies, everything that you do in your life, whether it be in the workplace or in the home, is to be done in service to this singular goal of making disciples of all nations. Now, if you've ever heard any treatment, any expositional treatment of the Great Commission, you likely remember that there is a single verb in these verses. It reads differently in our English translations, but most of the verbs in our English translations are really participles in the Greek of this text. The single verb that makes this text go is the idea of making disciples. In other words, going is done in service to the making of disciples. Baptizing is done in service to the making of disciples. Teaching is done in service to the making of disciples. The observance of every command is done uh, in service to the making of disciples. The promise of Jesus being with us is a promise that is in service to, a motivation for our making disciples of all nations. The mission of the church is, has always been, and will always be the making of disciples that follow faithfully in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And really everything that we've done until this point in terms of preaching, everything that I have led here in terms of preaching has been in service to this emphasis. 
when we began talking about the purpose of the church, the need for unity in the church, goals and ambitions as a church, it was the making of disciples that was driving all of that. Even things that are so fundamental like needing unity in the church. Do you know why we need unity in the church? We need unity in the church because it's becoming of believers. And Jesus said, by, all this, by, by this men will know that you're my disciples because you have a love for one another. But even that is in service to the making of disciples, that we are true to our Savior in the, in the fulfillment of the mission he has established for us. And the Bible says that we enjoy a great anointing. We enjoy great power when we walk together in unity, utilizing the gifts and abilities that God has given us in the fulfillment of this mission. Everything that we do is in orbit around this single command, make disciples, make disciples, make disciples. Jesus gives us three motivations here for making disciples in our life. The first is born out of the simple fact that Jesus is speaking with his disciples. Jesus had died three days ago, and now he's speaking with his disciples. The number one motivation for our making disciples is that Jesus is alive. Christ lives. Today we serve a risen Savior Christ the Lord is risen. He is alive. The, the sad reality is that there are hundreds of thousands, millions of people toiling and laboring under the oppressive hand of gods who cannot save, meandering about in their figurative wilderness without a hope or a prayer. When there is a living God in heaven, who has extended a hand of salvation for all who will believe and trust on his name. Christ is alive. Jesus says in the conclusion of our passage, verse 20, Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He has charged the disciples in verse 18, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We don't have a hapless, powerless Savior commissioning us to go out amongst the wolves. We have been given an, a commission. We come under the authority of a Jesus who not only lives but who is Lord. There isn't a single scintilla of your life or mine over which Jesus Christ is not Lord. He has command. He has charge over our life over our movement, over that even of the unbelieving world around us. Nothing has escaped his attention. So we don't go out under, the, under a general who cannot provide for the needs of his people or who will not equip them with every necessary uh, resource to fulfill the mission. He is Lord having empowered us with his spirit, having promised to go before us. One of the things that we'll look at when we study the book of Exodus over the next several weeks and even months is, is the ways the New Testament invites us to see our experience as a parallel experience to that of, of the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We'll see that in the context of conversion in Exodus, but it's even true of conquest in the book of Joshua. 
As the people of Israel made their way into the promised land, God gave them victory over the nations that had previously inhabited the land. God always goes before them, sometimes in strange ways, like a swarm of bees. He always goes before them. And what is made crystal clear early in the book of Joshua is that victory in battle, and I would add victory in the advancement of the gospel in the here and now, is not contingent upon the strength or the numbers of Israel's army. And it's not contingent upon the resources of the 21st century church either. It is the product of God's hand of favor, the providential movement of God who goes before us, who is within us, and who comes behind us, equipping and empowering us to do what he has here commissioned us to do. Jesus is alive, and he is Lord, and he is with us. We don't go in our own power, and we certainly don't go on our own. Jesus says, remember, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Isn't that encouraging? Now, those are motivations for fulfilling the mission that Jesus has established for us. This is why we go. This is why we do what we do. Now, he details for us how it is that we go about the business of making disciples here in our passage as well. He says in verse 19, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I, I, let me just pause, and this is sort of a side note, but the idea of going is pretty important. It will be helpful for you. This is, I'm not, I, you probably won't hear this from many preachers. But if you will be socially mobile, if you will be socially active, you will have a greater likelihood of being an effective disciple maker than you will if you live as a hermit in a cave somewhere. If, 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 you're, if your ideal weekend is watching the television with no company, you will not be an optimal maker of disciples. If you, what I'm saying is get out and have some fun, and you'll enhance your ability to make disciples in the process of doing so. Find ways to connect your likes and interests up with the making of disciples. So I lived within 15 minutes of an SEC college town in my former ministry. And, and, and so pretty early in the game, you realize you're not going to win that one, preacher. So what you begin to do is to look for ways to leverage the interest of the people for gospel advancement. The great thing about the gospel is that Jesus never called us to go find a cave or a monastery and just sort of dwindle away until he comes again. Rather, he has charged us that we would go. That we would go, that is, that is, get out. So for the next several weeks, I'm totally cool with your weekend tailgates, even if that can be an impediment to service in some areas. So much as what you're doing there is in orbit around this singular priority that we are making disciples of all people. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of SEC college football fans who really need Jesus. And there's a lot of believers who really need to know what it looks like to be a part of this world without being in the world, without being worldly in the process of our earthly existence here. Jesus said, go, go, go. 
and in going, be about the business of making disciples. He says in verse 20, teach them. Uh, he says baptize in verse 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing about the New Testament and its treatment of baptism, and it trips a lot of people up. But often in the New Testament, baptism is used interchangeably with or synonymous with conversion. That does not mean what Brother Wade is not saying. Be careful and hear me. Brother Wade is not saying that being baptized means that you are saved or that something about baptism saves you. That, what I'm talking about is something different here. But baptism is so inseparably connected in the New Testament to our conversion experience that often the language of baptism can be used to express what God is doing invisibly in our conversion. Romans 6 is a great example of this. He says, don't you know that all of us who've been baptized have been baptized into Christ Jesus? You don't come into Christ, so to speak, by being baptized. You come into Christ. You become a part of the body of Christ by faith in Jesus Christ. But the two are so close together. Paul uses the language and the imagery of baptism. There's a touch of that happening here. You cannot legitimately baptize disciples until they have become disciples. So at least in part, the charge of Jesus to go and to baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit is a charge to be about the business of evangelism, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that you come in contact with. If you're going to be serious about making disciples, you're going to have to be a person who is intentional with every conversation, with every relationship, with every potential connection to ensure that you are communicating the gospel of Jesus Christ to those you come in contact with. Now, there are lesser forms of outreach that we've sort of mixed and mingled with evangelism, like inviting people to come to church or inviting people to come to connect groups or small groups or even having spiritual conversations. And none of those are bad things. In fact, they can be a very helpful bridge to a deeper conversation at some point down the road, or maybe even within that conversation you have occasion to share the depths of the gospel with the person you're engaged with. But I want us to be careful here that we always keep our eyes trained on the ultimate goal, which is communicate to communicate to a lost and dying world that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That God sent his son from the glories of heaven to the terrors of earth. That Jesus without sin made himself subject to earthly authorities. That he walked in perfection for 30 plus years that he died an execution-style death on a Roman cross, not for crimes that he had done, but for my sins and for your sins, that he died as a substitute, that they took his body down and buried him in a borrowed grave outside the city of Jerusalem. And at a very specific moment in time in human history, Jesus took up a once-dead body and on the third day rose again that he ascended to the right hand of God, and that the call of the gospel has been issued, 
the promises to you, your children, and your children's children, to as many as the Lord our God will call. This is the gospel. There is salvation in no other. The goal must always be to get there with the world around us. You've got to be about the business of evangelism if you're going to be productive in the business of making disciples. And then Jesus says, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Typically, we make reference to this in uh, recent years as discipling or disciple-making. Investing in the lives of those who come to faith in Jesus. Always try to tell people, especially young people, when they profess their faith in Jesus, when they confess that Christ is Lord of their life, that this is not the end of what God intends to do in you. This is just the beginning. And we need, we need to be careful that we're reprogramming the way we think about our gospel conversations and evangelistic efforts so that we're not dropping the ball at the point of conversion, but encouraging people to walk with Jesus and training them as to what it looks like to be a faithful follower of Christ. You'll, you'll know when you've been diligent in walking people through conversion and discipling because you'll see them begin to make disciples themselves. That's, that's when you can begin to rest. That yes, training has taken place. Discipling has happened. Disciple making has been honored as the Lord would have it to be honored. This is the mission. This is our assignment. This is what we have been called to do. Now, let's transition here to some nuts and bolts, some practical applications. I want to give you this morning four ways that we can enhance our ability to make disciples at Longview Point. Y'all ready? And these are, these are important, and they'll probably be, I'll have to be careful to not take all of the time, extra time that Travis has afforded me and to get you to your Connect classes and whatever the remainder of the day holds. Here, here's one way that we can better be about the business of disciple making at Longview Point. Number one, every member being involved in, in serving in some capacity, every, every member serving. Every, it is, by the way, the expectation of our church body, our church family, that every member be actively serving in some capacity. Now, we've worked, your leadership has, has worked to streamline that, to, to make it easier for you to get connected up with opportunities for serving. And there's a question that's sort of out there behind each of these ways that we can enhance our ability to make disciples. Here it is in this particular instance for those of you who are OCD about your outline. How, how can you serve? How can I serve? This is the question that every person here needs to be asking about this particular area of, of serving the purpose of the church, making disciples. How can I serve? Or perhaps, where can I serve? Now, here's the interesting thing. In most churches, especially churches of this size, one of the things you begin to run into is that there are not enough service opportunities within the context of the church to assign each member of the church some, some act or position of service. So you have to get really creative with ensuring that you're connecting the local church with the community around so that there are enough service needs. I really expected that would be the case, and it would require a lot of connecting up with outside ministries. We raised this in a staff meeting a couple of weeks ago, 
And within about 30 seconds, there were 40 or 50 volunteer positions that are vacant that we need people serving in right now. Yesterday, we need dozens of people serving in different ways right here to streamline and to do everything that we need to do as we need to do it with a spirit of excellence in service to this charge that Jesus has given us, which is to make disciples. Now, at the end of our service, we're going to give a call. I'm going to give a call, and I'm going to say, if you're not serving somewhere, this morning is the time to resolve that issue. And I have about 100 ministry interest surveys down front, so I have high expectations for you today, that you'll be able to respond and to fill out, and hopefully within the next 24 to 48 hours, we'll be making contacts with you. And now if there's a gazillion of you, it may be longer than that. But we want to quickly connect you to opportunities for service within the context of the church. If we're going to be collectively or individually about the business of making disciples, we're going to have to do as the Bible describes, take the gifts and abilities that God has given each of us uniquely, knit them together as a whole, lock arms and march forward that the kingdom would be expanded across the street and around the world. How can I serve is a question that should be ringing in your ears. Number two. If we're going to be all that we can be in terms of making disciples, we need every member of the point sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to remind you again, I want you to take note, etch this in your memory, and never forget it. No matter how strongly convinced you ever allow yourself to become that the community around us just has the gospel figured out, that they have access to the gospel, it's communicated in a myriad of ways. If they desired the gospel, they would have it. No matter how much you convince yourself of that great deception, there are people living nearly in the shadow of our church who do not know Jesus from their right hand or left hand, who have zero understanding whatsoever of the gospel, who are perched and waiting perhaps providentially prepared by God to hear the good news of the gospel and to respond. God has placed us here as salt and light in DeSoto County. Shame on us if we do any less than expend ourselves ensuring that those under our charge have been exposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, this is, this is a cyclical thing in all of our lives. Right now, there are those of you who have at times in your life been very passionate about evangelism, and maybe you've cycled down and you've entered into a season of some barrenness, and you're just not as intentional as you once were. There, there, there are those of you who are hot-hearted and you're excited about the gospel right now, and you're prayerfully sharing the good news every opportunity you get. There are those, and I'll guarantee you, money-back guarantee, there are dozens, there are dozens of you who have never once in your Christian life sat kneecap to kneecap and eyeball to eyeball and shared with someone the glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every single soul 
who entrusts their soul to Jesus is obligated to take the good news of the gospel to everyone within their circle of influence and beyond. The gospel came to us because it was headed to someone else. Now, in the month of October, we're, we're going to embrace and, uh, and participate in the North American Mission Board's Who's Your One Challenge. You have a few weeks to begin praying toward that end and thinking about who your one is going to be, but it's never too early to begin praying or serving in the area of evangelism. And the question that should be ringing in our minds now is, who can I tell? Here's a third thing, a third way that we can enhance our ability to make disciples. It is the expectation of the Point family that, y'all ready? It is the expectation of the Point family that every member of the family be involved in a connect group. Oh, either amen or oh me. And the reality is that most members, as best I can tell, are not connected to a connect group. And, and let me just tell you, the, the, the way things are structured, and, and, and by conviction, connect groups, small groups, are the primary mechanism for the making of disciples in the fellowship of Longview Point. They are critically, 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 critically important. If we are going to be everything I believe the Lord would equip and afford that we could be, it's going to be because we are establishing and strengthening connect group or small group ministry within our church. Now, the last 10 years, I think, really, even beyond that, but especially in the last 10 years, small group ministry and churches changed drastically. And I know that small group changes aren't always embraced the best. I know that small group changes can discomfort and, uh, well, they can be a point of a great deal of aggravation. But there is a shift in the culture, a shift that I was not in the early stages at home with personally, but I've come to embrace, where small groups, connect groups, as we make reference to them here, have become an incredibly effective tool, not just for the business of teaching as Jesus describes it here, but of winning the loss to faith in Jesus as well. There is something about my generation and those younger than me that are at home in the hospitable setting of a home, learning about who Christ is, who, who are much more likely to enter into that environment to hear about the gospel than they ever would be to come and sit down in a crowd like this. There is some, there's a change, a shift in the culture that has taken place. That, that is commending the model of home groups, small groups, to the church for the advancement of the kingdom. Now, we can like that or we can dislike that, but the reality is that that is the model for small group ministry that has proven itself over the past decade to be the most efficient and the most effective. Let me tell you some other benefits of that. The other benefit of that is we don't have any more space here. 
So if you're going to have a new group, it's got to be a home group unless you're meeting in the parking lot, which is not going to be good during the summer months or the winter. So that doesn't leave you much of an opportunity for meeting. We, we need more people connecting to connect groups. Let me tell you something else. If you all sit, stood right now and said, we all want to be in a connect group, we wouldn't know what to do with you. We wouldn't have a place to put you. We couldn't get you connected up. So... What we need are more connect groups. There are those of you among us who have been gifted to teach, who are passionate about making disciples. There's a place for you. You, you may look at our classes and say they're all filled. There's a teacher in every class. They sure are. But we, we need about 20 more of those. We, we need new teachers. And I trust that if we need them, God's provided for it. The, there are those of you within our congregation who are gifted in these areas. Connect groups need more than leaders. They need apprentices. They need people who say, you know, I may not be there yet, but I, I, I feel God calling me to teach and to lead in this area, and I'd love to attach myself to a good small group teacher so that I could model after what he or she is doing in their context and learn how to best be about this business. There are those of you who may say, you know, I'm not much on public speaking. I don't, I don't know about getting in front of a bunch of people, but I, I love to host people in my home. And, and I would be willing to partner with someone who feels a call to teach and be a host or a hostess to a small group. You may just be here as a person who says, I need to be a part of a small group as a member and be about the business of making disciples. In fact, I need to be made a disciple and I need to connect up. But every single person here has a role to play in connect group ministry. I am firmly convinced, and I cannot overstate this, I could not be more enthusiastic about this issue. If we are going to be all that we can be in terms of making disciples, it's going to be because we have been serious about investing time and effort in the work of connect group ministry. It's critically important. Critically important. And here's the fourth and final, the one you've been waiting on. If we're going to be everything that we can be in terms of making disciples, we, we really need every member of the Point family contributing financially to the mission of the church. Now, the conversation concerning debt retirement was, in all honesty, a conversation that predates my coming to serve here as your pastor. We, we talked about this through the search process. I visited with every leadership body and coming here and talking about coming to serve as your pastor. Other than making disciples, there's probably not another issue that I've given as much thought and, and focused concentration to sort of processing uh, apart from debt retirement and the financial positioning of the church. This is, this is an, an incredibly important aspect of, of who we are. As Christian people, we are, we are giving people. But I, I always want to guard. I, listen, here at the heart of your pastor, I always want to guard against investing in our own kingdom versus the kingdom of God. And I think that's a really easy thing to do and to feel really good about it if we're not always examining our motives in ministry. What I'm saying to you this morning is that as long as I'm the pastor of Longview Point, we're always going to be very deliberate and very cautious that where every red cent of every gift given at Longview Point 
is invested in the business of making disciples in some shape, form, or fashion. Here's what Brother Way does not desire to do. I have no desire whatsoever to retire this debt so we can take on a new debt to build six flags over Jesus at McInvale and Bahalia. That's not the goal. And you need to remember that. And, and you need to think, which again is, is why in-home connect groups are so good because they're cost-effective. It doesn't require building a building to have. Th think about how reproducible that is. So you can do that anywhere and everywhere. That can be modeled after in every context. It doesn't matter which hemisphere of the world you find yourself. That's a reproducible model. But building an education building is not a reproducible model in every community. It's, it's insanely expensive. We want things that are reproducible, that can make disciples in our context and in every context because that's what God has called us to do. Now, I'd be lying to you if I didn't say there are capital needs right here. There are things that we need to do to take care of the facility that is currently in our possession. Our property has to be maintained, and there's a certain amount of investment that has to be done there in order for that to be kept up. I want us to have as robust a preschool, children, and youth ministry as we could possibly have. And in the future, there'll be investment in capital projects that will have to be done in those particular areas of ministry. But the number one reason why Brother Wade thinks it's a good idea that we retire this debt quick, fast, and in a hurry is because it would free for us nearly $400,000 annually to do the work of ministry that God has called us to do. Think about those numbers. When you factor what has been budgeted toward the retirement of debt annually and what is given toward the advance fund annually, usually that works out to north of $400,000. Do you know how many churches we can plant for $400,000? Do you know how, much, how quickly we can address any need that might arise within the context of our current ministry with $400,000 annually? I, 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 and I realize, and this is not to say that anything that's been done in the past has been a bad idea. I look at that lobby out there. They tell me that that used to be the lobby, and I would have loved to have seen it. It must have looked like a circus on Sunday morning where all the clowns get out of one car. I don't know how you pulled it off. Things had to be done, and I get, I get all that. But I believe the Lord has entrusted to this congregation the ability to retire this debt in, in pretty short order. Now, what I don't desire to do is to do this to the neglect or the detriment of our missions offerings. I, 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 this is really a crazy goal. But I believe that we can retire this debt by the end of 2020. And I believe that we can do that without decreasing our Lottie Moon Christmas offering or our North American missions offering. Now, I think in these terms, but if you look out across our parking lot, there are millions of dollars in vehicles because we all recognize we have places we need to go. If you think in those terms, this is really a common sense approach. We're looking at roughly $1.5 million in debt that we can collectively retire because we recognize that the gospel has places to go. So, 
you know, I realize, again, this is an audacious goal. Our budget is north of $2 million. We'll give, God willing, $250,000 to Lottie Moon this year. We'll give uh, north of $30,000 to the North American Missions Offering. And now we're talking about uh, retiring a debt of a little more than $1.5 million over the course of the next 16 months. That's crazy. I know that's crazy. It's practically impossible. But hey, let's shoot the moon. What do we have to lose? The God that we serve owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he may just be pleased to get us there. Now listen, we're not going to despair if we're not there at the end of 2020. We're not going to grieve and groan and moan and complain. We'll be that much closer to having retired the dead. But I think bringing this before you as a church will sort of wake us up to the reality that we have this debt that's hanging around. And it, and it may factor in the way uh, many of you choose to give over the next several months. Now, the current debt, as I mentioned a moment ago, is about $1.5 million. And, and here's the challenge. I've made reference to this. We'll make reference to this as the 2020 plan or the 2020 challenge. The challenge is that you would commit to giving $2,020 in the year 2020. That averages out to about $168 a month. Are y'all filling in the spaces? Now, that's going to require going home and doing some budgeting and walking through some things. And what some of you are going to discover is that you don't have it in the budget to give $168 a month. And in some cases, that's life circumstances and challenges in a variety of different ways. And I don't want to saddle you with any sense of guilt if that's where you find yourself in life. But I would commend some financial peace training that will be ongoing over the next several weeks for those of you who may find yourself just in a bad position in general. Maybe you've not made the best decisions and you need to find some ways to work through that and begin to retire or eliminate debt in your own personal life. Uh, I, on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock, there's Financial Peace University. They've had their intro meeting, and that will kick off full force this coming Wednesday night. If you go home and you sit down and you're working through your budget and you're finding that, that someone else is getting all of your income, you might want to make your way to that particular meeting and, and find some ways to free money for giving. But that's the charge. That's, that's, that's the challenge to you all as a congregation. $168 a month is a considerable amount of money for a whole lot of people, and I got all that. And again, my goal is uh, not to saddle you with a whole lot of, of guilt uh, about your ability or inability to give in this particular area. But let me make one note here. The reason that we find ourselves in the position so often as the church, all churches, and the reason that we find ourselves in the position as uh, this church, Longview Point, of needing to ask for an additional $168 a month beyond what is already being given is frankly because every member of the church doesn't tithe. If, if every, Travis recommended this week, and, I, and one day we may do this, an all-tithe Sunday, where we just challenge everybody to just give a tenth of their income, which is what the Bible requires of us, and, and just on one Sunday, all-tithe Sunday, so that you could see the giving capacity of the church. I promise you 
that every member of Longview Point Church contributing as God has required of us would resolve this debt and any other need that might arise in the future. Now, one of, one of the things that's happened is that we have been handcuffed by name-it-and-claim-it greedy preachers who wish to fleece their congregants and poor people of everything they have so they can jet-set around the country and live in homes that cost a gazillion dollars. And so we've been robbed of the ability to talk about finances in the church without feeling icky about that as though we're going to be cast in that mold. So you're never going to hear that from me. I'm, I'm not a beggar and neither is my Lord. But I will tell you that there is great benefit and blessing to come for those who give charitably and cheerfully to the work of God. I will never forget being a college student making $100 a week standing in the foyer of Double Springs Baptist Church and commenting, innocently commenting to my pastor, well, I don't tithe because I don't make enough money. It would have been a full $10 a week. And my pastor saying, with some conviction but with some grace, if the Lord can't trust you with a little, he'll likely never trust you with a lot. And beginning the practice of tithing in my life, and Brandy and I following after that pattern for all of our married life and being able to make it on some weeks when there was no answer as to how we were going to make it. Sometimes the math just didn't add up, but God was always faithful to provide. This is the only command I am aware of in the Bible where God says, try me, test me in this area. You tithe and see if I won't throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing you don't have storehouse to hold it. Now, in recent years, there's pushback against the notion of tithing. And there's a camp of people who say that tithing is not in the New Testament, that this is a grace issue under the New Covenant. And I, I, will, I will gladly embrace that notion. So long as you understand that grace has always been greater than the law. So for those of you who fashion yourself grace givers, we're looking for about 25% out of y'all. So 10 or 25, y'all just choose it. Take your pick. What I'm, what I'm saying to you is that, that the church has always been about the business of, of everyone pulling it in the same direction, contributing to the advancement of, of the gospel, fulfilling the mission of the church. Now, I'm hopeful that because we put this before you, and I'm like way out of time, that because we've put this before you this morning, that some of you may even take up giving the $168 a month as soon as September, as soon as next month. And if the Lord were to be pleased to provide 450 people to give $168 a month over the next 16 months, I know it's crazy, it's crazy. Then, then we could retire the debt by the end of 2020. We'd, we'd get there. We'd be there. So you ask how you do that. As of this morning, what has been known for several years as the Advance Fund has been rebranded. It is now the 2020 Fund. Advance Fund has always been monies that were received to go toward debt retirement or capital needs, building programs, those kinds of things. 
But my discovery coming was there were a whole lot of people who had no idea what the advance fund was about. There are many of you who have given faithfully and very consistently toward the advance fund over the years. Nothing has changed except the name. And the name change is an effort at saying, hey, this is what this money is going to go toward doing. And I'm hopeful and prayerful that you're going to be a big, big part of that. Already, the 2020 plan has been made available to your church leadership team, to your staff, and to your deacons. And as of last check, more than $20,000 has already been given by that body of men toward meeting the goals that we've uh, set and laid out this morning. And I'm hopeful that God would raise up from within us this morning many, many more who would give cheerfully and sacrificially to see us retire that debt and be able to press forward together for the advancement of the gospel. So here are the questions that I hope, again, are ringing in your minds. How can I serve? If you're here this morning and you're not serving in some capacity, when we give the invitation in a few minutes, the pastors are ready and waiting. We can have you enlisted before you ever get away. And Travis is coming back, coming back and He's going to lead us in worship after the invitation. So there'll be a few minutes there for transition. You'll be able to hook back up with your family. You'll be able to connect back into connect groups. If you're in a 1030 group, you're going to have time in the next few minutes uh, to settle the business of how and where you're serving. Who can I tell? Who has God placed in my life that I can share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with? There is someone in your life. You know, there's a point in our Christian life where we're trying to rid ourselves of lost influences. W once you come to a place of maturity, the goal ought to be to bring on some lost friends. You may come from a place where you can't bear with the temptation and you have to separate yourself, but there ought to come a time of maturity in your life when running away from lost people is not the option, rather you're running to them. Who can I tell about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Number three. If you're here and you're not a member of a connect group, Trey Clinney is down here, right here. Wave at him, Trey. This is Trey Clinney. He is our discipleship pastor. Micah is going to help him get some attention. If you're here and you are so burdened with where you can connect or how you can connect, don't get away without seeing Trey and finding out about ways that you can get connected and be of service. The fourth question, and, and one that I hope that you'll deal with, and you're, you're not limited to this morning. I'm not asking that you respond in this moment. It would be unwise to do so in most cases, is asking the question of how I can give. Give generously, give sacrificially, and let's set this thing aside and press forward for gospel advancement. Pray through this. Discuss it with your family, with your spouse this evening. Consider ways that sacrifices can be made in certain areas or, or for some of you you may be able to make you may have the freedom to make very generous uh, gifts toward the retirement of, of this debt and then continue to pray that God would keep us faithful stewards of what he has entrusted us he has been incredibly generous